Self-Care Sunday, a minimalist media project by Kaylee Reed. This episode is going to be a little bit of an experiment and might turn out to be a new segment or series on the show. I'm not really sure yet, but I've been wanting to dive a little deeper into some current affairs, cultural and political news, and so this segment is going to be basically a weekly recap of some of the top news in our culture, but looking at it from a self-care, mental health, and feminist perspective. You guys have heard me talk a bit about some of the other podcasts that I listen to and love, and if you go back to episode number 23, I actually talk about eight of my favorite podcasts, and that list is always expanding. But one common thread with a lot of my favorite podcasts right now is that I'm loving shows that explore big ideas in philosophy, politics, and culture, but also do this in a really timely and relevant way with what's going on in our world right now. So I've been thinking about starting a new show under that angle, especially with the Canadian elections coming up this year and so much happening in the political space in the United States. But for a lot of people, politics might not be your idea of self-care, and that is totally okay. Self-care looks a little bit different for everybody. But while floating this idea of creating a new show around, I've also been looking at ways to provide some more value and context around things happening in the media from a self-care, mental health, and feminist perspective. And so that's where this mini segment is coming from. And that's kind of where the idea for this segment came from. Uh, The political stuff is probably still going to be for another podcast, but I wanted to dip my toe into the world of current affairs and what's going on around us culturally. So this is going to be a little bit more of a cultural commentary on things happening around us. And it might become a weekly thing or not. Let me know after this episode if you'd listen to more of these segments or if you prefer the long-form interviews with guests or solo episodes on more reflective things. This show is my own self-care, but obviously I want to produce something that's valuable and meaningful to my listeners. So... Screenshot this episode and tag at Selfcare Sunday or me at Kaylee.e on Instagram and let me know what you think. All right, it's time to get into this episode of What's Current This Week. First up, did Revolve fuck up? If any of you follow body positive influencers on Instagram, you most definitely saw the new collection that Revolve dropped on their website earlier this week in collaboration with LPA and Lena Dunham. Basically, the collection featured a few sweatshirts with big quote statements like, being fat is not beautiful, it's an excuse. That particular sweatshirt is the one that went viral on Instagram, and rightly so. It was worn by a tiny sample size model, and Instagram exploded. When I first saw influencers posting about this, my initial reaction was, WTF, can this be real? And then, of course, I dug a little deeper, and at Florence Given is one of the main Instagram accounts that brought this whole thing to light. She had actually personally DM'd LPA on Instagram to ask about why any marketing or design team in their right mind would greenlight this. And so it turns out that the photos on Revolve were released a day early and not in line with their campaign launch, and that there's actually a really bold message behind the collection, which was to take 
degrading, sexist, fatphobic comments that were said to models online and create a statement collection of these quotes on sweatshirts to shine the light on how horrible online trolling can be with proceeds going to charity. What's not really visible in the photos that went viral online is that underneath each quote was a line that read, as said to, and then the model's name. So the intent was basically the opposite of what was observed in execution, but without the launch story or really any context to these shirts, body positive and feminist influencers went full attack mode and the collection has since been removed from Revolve altogether, with both brands, Revolve and LPA, having issued apologies, and both brands will be signing $20,000 donation checks to the charity Girls right now. So what's my take on this? The first thing I'll say is that I've never liked Lena Dunham. I don't agree with her style of liberal feminism, I've never liked her as an actress or an activist, so I wasn't entirely surprised to find out that she was a part of this collaboration, and granted, my bias against her probably makes me dislike the whole thing even more. I feel like she's just completely disconnected from the reality of most everyday women, and I think the way that the internet reacted to this collection is a great example of exactly that. The second thing I'll say is probably counter to what a lot of influencers have been saying, which is I do think that intent here really matters, and I do think that there was good intentions behind this collection but the execution was like watching somebody fall down the stairs in slow motion. I know a lot of feminists will say that the intent doesn't matter because what's done is done and the harm created can't be backpedaled by good intentions. That said, I disagree in this circumstance because I am a flawed human who miscommunicates at times and because I have been a business owner and a fashion designer in the socially conscious space and I know how difficult it is to execute perfectly on a controversial idea. I think the best ideas are often the most controversial ones and if people aren't in some cases criticizing what you're doing, you're probably not doing anything that revolutionary or worth talking about. But I am going to say that they royally messed up in multiple ways in their execution, not just with the timing or the way the story behind the product was told, but in really basic things like the product photos, which featured all super skinny cookie cutter models that were not reflective of the messaging on the shirts at all. And the collection was not even available past a size XL, which if they were truly trying to make an impact and a statement in the body positive and feminist space, that would have been a key aspect in doing so. With small indie brands, I can totally empathize when sizing is somewhat limited because I know from firsthand experience how expensive it is to create and size a clothing collection. But for a massive retailer like Revolve to not offer a supposedly body positive sweatshirt in a size above XL 
is not only idiotic, but truly unacceptable. And to top it all off, the sweatshirts were priced at 162 pounds, which is basically $300 Canadian and just goes to show again that this entire collection was made with some pretty elitist brainstorm bubble of feminism that is not accessible or relatable to 90% of the population. My final takeaway on this is that we need to do better or not try at all. Every existing corporate brand and a million and one startups are jumping on the social responsibility bandwagon right now because it's proven effective in marketing to millennials. Forbes recently wrote a study that shows 81% of millennials expect companies to make public commitments to good corporate citizenship. And I think that's reasonable in an age where business has the ability to do good and those two things can effectively go hand in hand for faster change and more progress. That said, I'd personally rather see companies stick to what they're good at rather than trying to pander to the social justice trend if it's in an inauthentic way or a fleeting attempt to ride the marketing bandwagon. Do better execute better, or don't make that part of your marketing ploy. All right, the second topic that I want to cover in what's current this week is something that was actually harder for me to write about than I thought would be, and that is Mac Miller, who died on September 7th from a suspected drug overdose. It's been just over a week now, and his death has been in the news basically all week. So if you're unfamiliar with Mac Miller, he's an American rapper who had just turned 26 this year and is by a lot of people better known as Ariana Grande's ex-boyfriend. They dated for two years and had collaborated on music together and then broke up this past May, which was basically only a month before Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson got engaged. So before I get into how I feel about all of this, I think there's some history about Mac Miller's relationship with mental health and drugs that should be talked about openly. Uh, Like a lot of artists and celebrities, he was not a stranger to drinking heavily and using cocaine and other drugs. He admitted to this in a Rolling Stone interview barely a month ago, and shortly after his breakup with Ariana Grande, he'd been arrested for a DUI, and after being blamed for his actions, Ariana Grande actually tweeted that their relationship had been toxic. And she wrote, I'm not a babysitter or a mother, and no woman should feel that they need to be. I have cared for and tried to support his sobriety and prayed for his balance for years. So I've been a fan of Mac Miller for like over seven years now, and I was pretty devastated when I found out about his death. I can so vividly remember being introduced to his music in the summer of my graduating year from high school, and I've been listening to one of his newest tracks on repeat for the past month titled Self Care, which was released in August. So here's my thoughts on this. I think what's been hard about processing this celebrity death or any death associated with drugs and overdose is that we as a society 
still have a really hard time understanding addiction and specifically understanding addiction in relation to mental health. The reaction to a death by overdose compared to, for example, a death by suicide is strikingly in contrast. If we look at the narratives that followed Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain's deaths earlier this year, the overall tone was incredibly empathetic from the general public. Yet, following Mac Miller's death, the overall tone, especially on the Twitterverse, was the opposite of empathy. Within a day of the news breaking, Ariana Grande's name was a number one trending topic on Twitter, mostly with tweets filled of hatred for being a woman who didn't stand by a man struggling with his own demons, and ultimately choosing her own happiness and her own path versus staying in what she described as a toxic relationship. And this is where things get really muddy, because I don't want to be somebody who is commentating on celebrity relationships, and I know that there is so much behind what we actually know of these people and what really goes on in their lives and in their minds that we will never ever understand. That said, if I've learned anything from this year, uh, mental health being in the news with so many celebrity deaths, I think that there is a lot of opportunity to take things away from these events and to learn something and to reflect. So here's my two takeaways on this. The first is that we need to honor the choices of women who leave relationships that are unhealthy for them. The second is that we need to separate the person from the illness when we talk about death. In terms of honoring the choices of women who leave unhealthy relationships, The media seems to have a really hard time with this. It's as if everybody who's ever written a tabloid about a celebrity breakup has never been through one themselves or doesn't actually understand that individual self-care can be more valuable than trying to make an unhealthy relationship work. So I completely respect and admire Ariana for choosing the path that was best for her in that moment. And as much as I am a fan of both of them, I think it's incredibly selfish and unfair to hold celebrities to a standard that you wouldn't hold for yourself and to expect people to stay together even if they're unhappy. So Ariana Grande finally broke her silence on Mac's death two days ago by posting a video of him and a caption that honestly kind of broke my heart. Um, On Instagram, she posted this and parts of it read, I can't believe you aren't here anymore. I really can't wrap my head around it. We talked about this so many times and I'm so mad. I'm so sad that I don't know what to do. You are my dearest friend for so long above anything else. I'm so sorry I couldn't fix or take away your pain. The kindest, sweetest soul with demons he never deserved. I think that kind of pain is really difficult to process. Yet, 
it's so important for us to realize that in many cases there's nothing that we as supporters, friends, family, or lovers can do to quote-unquote fix someone. Having experienced mental illness myself and having dated someone with mental illness and addiction issues, I can say that there's often times that I wanted to be fixed by the person that I was with or I felt compelled to stay with someone because I thought that they needed me to fix them. And there's this romanticization in that that I think is actually really dangerous if we get caught up in it because a lot of these issues can only be solved with a combination of professional help, therapy, self-care, and I think most importantly, self-determination. If someone doesn't have the will to get better, it's almost impossible to get them there. But I understand that guilt, and it's a valid feeling that she's feeling, even though it might not be valid in actuality, but I think it's something that so many supporters feel when they feel like they can't help the person that they love. The second takeaway from all of this, or I guess the second point that I wanted to talk about is separating the person from the illness. So earlier this year, I actually declined a national CBC interview after Kate Spade's death. They had asked me to come on and share my perspective as a mental health advocate in terms of what her death actually meant for the mental health community and what we can take away from it. And at the time, I didn't want to do the interview. I declined it because I didn't want to create a commentary that solely focused on her depression or suicide as the single defining headline. And not being the person that was producing or editing the interview or the segment, I didn't want to go on a show, give my two cents, and then have it come out in a way that I didn't want it to be published. I personally don't think it does justice to the person's achievements or accomplishments to sum up their life in relation to their death. With that being said, I want to remember Mac Miller for his music. And if you haven't listened to him before, some of the classics I'll suggest to you are Donald Trump, which is kind of ironic now, uh, Party on Fifth Ave, one of the OGs, and one of my favorites is Miss Calls. I think that's from 2012. And now, of course, self-care from his new album, Swimming. I'm continuing to play self-care on repeat, and I think that's really the best way to remember an artist, is to enjoy the legacy of music that they created and left behind for us. So with that, I'm going to end this segment of What's Current. Until next week, happy Self-Care Sunday, everyone. Thank you.